Well, uh, hi everyone. JD had to work late, so um, here I am. So we, uh, we're going to go ahead and continue through Acts. Um, but before we do, that's a little boomy. Can we? Before we do, let's pray and we'll get started. Lord, um, we thank you, God, for your word. We thank you, Lord, that your word uh, accomplishes what it sets out to do, despite the teacher and despite what's going on, Lord, your word is true. And so, God, we give you glory for that. And we thank you, God, that you desire us. We thank you that, that you reveal yourself to us through your word. And we ask, God, that you would do that now, that you'd speak to our hearts, and that we would seek to become more like you. It's in Jesus' name, amen. So, we're in Acts 12. Um, we are just after... Uh, Paul, Saul at the time, Paul and Saul, kind of, he's converted, but he's going to go hang out with Barnabas for a while, and he's going to go off and work, work with Barnabas and grow with Barnabas and really become, you know, the guy, the leader in the end. Um, but also during this time, as, as it finished up last week, um, there was a famine, and, and people were kind of sending relief, and people were spreading out, and things were happening. And, and that's the important thing to remember about all of Acts, is that there's a lot going on. We have the perspective of Luke, and he's given us a lot of information, but there's a ton going on politically. There's a ton going on uh, socially as well, because you've got this new group of people who have a new religion that's completely challenging the establishment. You know, a huge group of these people are showing up, and the establishment's not real happy about that, okay? So if we go ahead and look here at Acts 12, verse 1, it says, Now, about that time, so the time that, that Saul goes off with Barnabas, Herod, the king, stretched out his hand to harass some of the church. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. So when he had arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. So this Herod, uh, this is Herod Agrippa, the king, uh, he is half Jewish. And so Jews didn't really like half-breeds, so to speak, back in that time. They, they wanted to keep things pure. They didn't like... Uh, the Samaritans for this reason, for example, because they weren't considered pure. And J.D.'s talked about that recently as well. But the thing here is that Herod wants to make the Jews happy. He wants them on his side. You know, in a place of power, you're going to want the people behind you, not against you. And so he's seeking out to kill people for political power, for political gain, to gain fans, so to speak. And so... Um, he stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. Now, it says he kills John, or, I'm sorry, kills James, and um, he thought he cut off the head, so to speak. You know, if I start picking off the leaders, if I take out Peter, and I take out James, and I take out John, and I take out all these guys, then we can, we can kill the beast, so to speak. Because remember, they're trying to eradicate the church, but what keeps happening every time they do it church is exploding, and it just keeps growing, it keeps growing, it keeps growing. And so Herod is stretching out his hand to gain political power. He thinks he's cutting off the head, but God keeps bringing new heads, <laughs> okay? 
Paul is coming up. Barnabas is doing his thing. Later on, uh, we're going to see, we're going to finally hear about Mark. And Mark shows up um, uh, later on, and he has some problems, but he ends up cool in the end, you know. He's working in these people, and that's what we have to realize. Um, I was teaching the other day, I was talking about Gregor Mendel at school, okay, so genetics and Punnett squares, if you remember any of that kind of stuff. And I was teaching it, and I, I gave this long backstory of this guy, because we tend to forget these aren't superheroes. These scientists we talk about all the time, they're not superheroes. These guys in the Bible, they're not superheroes. They're men. They're women who are filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what drives them. That's what gives them their power. And we have to remember that, that if JD's gone, that doesn't stop the ministry. I mean, we're, we're experiencing that, obviously. But, you know, if this head gets taken out, there's more. It's, it doesn't stop. God is always working in his people. And we're going to see a whole lot of weakness in some of the people here as we, get, as we follow on through. But God's not mad about it. He's bringing them up. He's raising up people to be the leaders. He is growing us into a body to do his work. We haven't attained is what I'm trying to get at. These guys haven't attained yet. We haven't attained. There's nothing really we can attain. And the idea of having an, a, a mark we need to get to, a, a level, we're thinking about it incorrectly. Okay? We can't, we're not going to be perfected till we get there. And we have to remember that. And so God's going to do some crazy stuff here because the world thinks it's winning. And isn't that true today to an extent? The world thinks it's winning. Agrippa, later, we're going to see what happens to him. But he thinks he's winning. But we know that that's not the case. And, and that's a matter of faith. So this persecution that's happening, you know, um, one of the sons of thunder has died. James and John, the sons of thunder. So the thunder's a little quieter now. Okay? And I can joke about that because think about what this guy did. He gave up his life for Christ. He was happy to do it. These are guys that, that gave their lives. They quit everything. They put down their nets. They quit all their jobs. They gave up everything to follow Christ. What better thing than to send him to God? Okay? Keeping him alive forever and torturing him would have mu been much more damaging to him than just straight up killing him. And we have to remember that as well, that death is gain for us. So let's go to Colossians real quick. Go to Colossians 1. Because this persecution, this idea... See, Philippians tells us that persecution's a promise. It's been granted to us on behalf of Christ to suffer. That's what Philippians says. It's been given to us. It's granted. It's a gift for us to suffer for Christ. And we don't think about suffering as something giftly, <laughs> okay? But in Colossians, um, Paul is telling these guys, hey, uh, I pray for you every day, and I want you to be built up. Because a lot of times we think we can't suffer because we're not strong enough, that God's only going to give us as much as we can handle. Well... Sometimes he gives us more than we can handle. Sometimes he gives us a lot. And that's the whole point of faith. If it's on our strength to suffer, then it wouldn't be suffering in faith. It would be suffering in my strength. Because Paul says something very interesting here. If we go back to Colossians uh, 1 verse 9 is where we'll start. 
It says, For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And here's the, here's the thing. Strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power. You see, the strength here is coming from God, not, not internally. He's, t- he's not saying you guys need to suffer and just be strong and tough it out and be a big, strong American and do it. That's not what he's saying. He's saying suffer by the power of God. And look why. Look, look, look what the strength is for. The strength isn't to endure pain. The strength is to have patience and long-suffering with joy if you, can fin- if you f- complete the verse. We're strengthened to suffer with patience not strengthened to not feel the suffering. There's a difference there. It's a very big difference. And we don't talk about suffering as something in the Christian life. It's very unpopular in the church as a whole. If, if you read all the modern books or if you, you listen to guys on TV, oh no, you're not supposed to suffer. God gives us everything we want. And that's not necessarily the case. God gives us what we need to grow closer to him. And sometimes that means not giving us things. I don't give my kids cake when they, for dinner because they want it. That's a bad idea. I know that they need vegetables, and so I'm going to give them what they need, not what they want sometimes is what's best. And so he does the same thing with us. So these guys are dying. Peter's been captured, and this is happening in the days of unleavened bread. So um, we, we're in Exodus, right, on Sundays, and we've been talking about how uh, there was the Passover and, and all that stuff happened. Well, the Passover is the last day of the Days of Unleavened Bread. It's kind of like the culmination. And so it's actually a full week celebration. And the first day of it um, is kind of a go, not go to work kind of a day. And then the last day of it is the Passover, which is a kind of not go to work kind of a day. But the days in between, you can still do stuff. In fact, um, they would like hide bread in their houses because, you know, you're supposed to get rid of the yeast at the Passover, they're supposed to get rid of the sin because yeast represents sin. It spoils everything. And so they would, the people would actually hide bread in their houses for their kids to find, like Easter egg hunt, so that they could partake in the feast. Okay, go find, go find the bread. Go get it. See if you can find it. Get it out of this house, you know, because that's what God's told us to do. So it's, it was this big celebration. And all of this is happening. People are in town. They're celebrating because their, their holidays were week-long events. They're not like ours. You know, you get one day off work, President's Day, Monday. No, it was like President's Week, which is a fantastic idea. <laughs> but so, so all this is going on. There's a lot of people in town, and uh, Agrippa's trying to make the Jews happy, so there's a lot of Jews in town. And so, oh, I captured Peter, right? Now, what happened during the Passover? Remember? The angel came over, and anyone who didn't have the blood on their doors, they died. The firstborn died, right? And so we've got this king, and during this time, God was going through, and he was basically killing those who rejected him as being God. All those plagues had happened in Egypt, remember that? All those plagues, all that stuff kept going on, crazy stuff. And people still refused to have faith in, Christ, or faith in God. They still refused it. And what we're going to see here is at the end of this, 
Agrippa dies by the hand of God for the exact same reason, rejecting God, putting himself in the place of God, because that's exactly what Pharaoh was. Pharaoh was a God to the Egyptians. We have to remember that aspect because they worshiped him. And some people are going to do that to Agrippa here in a bit, and we'll see that God wipes them out too. Wipes him out anyway. So it's the, he, he puts Peter in jail, and he didn't want to kill him during the feast. I don't want, I don't want to kill an innocent man during a holy time. If you put that into perspective, it's kind of silly. But the, the very legalistic Jews had this view on things that it's okay, you can't be this unholy on this holy day, but you can be unholy if it's not on this day and you're wearing the right sandals and you jump up and down three times. You know, there's just all these laws, all these rules. And so these, the, he just locks them up. Okay, we're in a festival, not going to sin during the festival because, I mean, we don't want to kill anybody. And let's move on with our lives. Let's just lock him up and, and we'll get him afterwards. We'll kill him afterwards. And so we see then from that in verse 5 of Acts 12, Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. So Peter's in jail, and it says four squads, which is four groups of four. So there's 16 guys watching one guy during a time without guns. So, I mean, dudes with spears and swords and shields, 16 dudes guarding one guy. Um, and Peter is locked up, and what's the church doing? Praying. They're praying for him. They're doing the work of the body of Christ. Something very bad has happened. One of their leaders has already been killed. Another leader's just been locked up, and they're on their knees seeking God. Notice what they're not doing is planning a rescue mission. Notice what they're not doing is overthrowing the government. No, they're submitted to the authority over them. And they're seeking God instead of challenging the government. That's a, that's a tough lesson because in America, we're rebels. That's why we're America. You know, we kind of rebelled during that whole American Revolution thing. We rebelled. And... We stood up against these governments, and and we did it. And I'm not saying we shouldn't have, don't get me wrong. But I am saying that as laws come and as things come, it's not our duty to rise up. It's our duty to seek God and to continue to serve him despite the circumstances because these guys are serving and getting killed despite it. That's what the body of Christ is. We're still called to that. It doesn't change. And so we have to be careful that that we remember that when, as these laws change, as the world thinks it's winning and everything's going, our duty is to still seek God and to still serve him despite the circumstances, despite the uh, consequences, the same way Christ did. Verse 6. And when Herod was about to bring him out that night, Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. So Peter's asleep. He's got four guys, two two chained to him with two chains. So two chains, probably feet and wrists, 
chained to two separate guys, probably on either side. Kind of hard to run away when you're trying to drag two dudes on, you know, one on each side. And then he's got two at the door, guarding the door. And see, Agrippa thinks these 16 guys is enough to protect him. But Agrippa doesn't know who he's fighting. <laughs> he's fighting God, not Peter, not the church. But Agrippa doesn't see him as God. But Peter's sleeping. What's the church doing? Praying. What's Peter doing? Sleeping. That's the same thing he was doing in the garden, if you recall. Uh, Jesus is, says, hey, stay up, pray with me. And uh, he falls asleep. I remember that. And uh, it's very different than what Paul and Silas do when they get locked up in Acts 16. Paul and Silas get locked up, and they're singing hymns all night. They're keeping the guards awake. They're singing, they're, and all the other inmates are listening. They're continuing to serve God in the midst of it. But Peter's sleeping. Now, I don't know. I don't know if maybe he was just at peace. Hey, it's my time. Get, you know, Kill me soon so I can go be with you. That kind of a thing. Or if it was something different. And I, I tend to lean towards it was something different because w- when we get to verse 11, we'll see that he was surprised at what happens. He wasn't expecting what happens next. And so I think he was probably succumbed to grief a little bit. His friend James, who hung out with Jesus for three years, is dead. He's gone. He's just been locked up. There's 16 guys on him. He's chained up. And I think Peter had a problem with fear. If we go back and look through what Peter does and how he, how he fails... <laughs> It's, it's, it's unfortunate for him that every single one of his major failures are written down for all of us to read, even now, <laughs> okay? I kind of feel bad for the guy. But one of his biggest things was fear. Remember when he's in the courtyard and Jesus has been taken and people keep telling him, hey, you were with Jesus, hey, you were with Jesus. And then a little girl comes up and says, hey, you were with Jesus, and he like gets in her face and yells at her. I mean, that's, he's, he's afraid. He has a fear issue. A lot of us do, <laughs> if, if, if we're honest with ourselves. A lot of us have a fear issue, a fear to stand up for righteousness, a fear to, to um, present the gospel even. Um, we have to understand that God loves us despite our fear, and he uses Peter despite his fear. Peter's, Peter messed up a lot. <laughs> He's attacking people with swords when they come to get Jesus. He's putting his foot in his mouth all the time. Remember when last, a couple weeks ago I was teaching the, the transfiguration and, and you know they're up on the mountain and Jesus is glowing and, and guys are showing up from heaven and, and um, he's like, let's build tents so we can hang out with, with these guys and not listen to Jesus. And God shows up and he's like, listen to my son, not these guys. You know, like he's always kind of messing up a little bit. But God is still making him a leader in the church. And we have to understand that even as a leader in the church, he is flawed. He is flawed. And God is raising him up to be stronger and to have more faith, which we'll see. Because in the end, Peter is faithful unto death. He loses that fear in the end. So we're seeing Peter in transition too. We're seeing Peter being grown up. And we have to remember that when we're dealing with each other. We have to remember that when we're dealing with each other. 
God is doing different things in each one of us. A sin that is very close to you and something you're very focused on getting rid of in your life, God may have not gotten that far with the person sitting next to you. Or maybe he's working on something else in that person that's, that, 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 that they're focused on and they think your sin's the worst thing in the entire world, okay? It's, it doesn't matter. Sin is sin. There is no sin that is worse than another. It all keeps us from Christ. It all keeps us from doing what it is that God's called us to do. So instead of focusing on what the sin is, we need to work on how can we pray for each other? How can we work together to eradicate as much of it in all of our lives instead of picking and choosing which sins are worse than others? It's a very, it's a very uh, dangerous road to start walking down when we start picking out which sins are worse than others because it sounds a whole lot like what the Pharisees were doing. And we have to be so, so careful that we are gentle. Remember, God is looking for those who love mercy. That when someone falls, it's not, someone, it's not time to point, Sam, you messed up. You know, It's not time for that. It's, Sam, how can I lift you up? And there's a time, obviously, if he's proud of his sin, there's, there's different ways of dealing with it. But, God still loves mercy. He desires that we lift each other up, that we edify each other for the building up of the work of the ministry because we are the church. He's raising us to be the church. We have to remember that, that God didn't, or Christ didn't die so that we can come to church. Christ died so that we could be the church. That's the most important thing that we have in our personal walks is that we are supposed to be the hands and feet of Christ, even when they're sinning. Um, I think about um, when, when Peter's failing, drowning in the water. You know, he's drowning. It's the middle of a storm. He's freaking out. And Jesus doesn't say, why didn't you believe? Sink a little lower. You know, you feel it. I want you to suffer a little while. No, he grabs him and he picks him up. And then he talks to him about it. But he saves him, you see. He, he wants to lay his hand on him. He wants to be personal with us. And we need to do the same thing, even if it's a bad sin. Let's go to verse 7. Now, behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, Peter, and a light shone in the prison. And he struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. Then the angel said to him, Gird yourself and tie on your sandals. And so he did. And he said to him, Put on your garment and follow me. So he went out and followed him and did not know uh, what was done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they were Sorry, when they were past the first and the second guard posts, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them of its own accord, and they went out and went down one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. And when Peter had come to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. And so this angel shows up, and he's not very gentle with Peter here. He struck him on the side, which means he hit him, kicked him in the ribs or something. He hit him. 
and raised him up. Boom, get up. Okay, he's, he's not being gentle here. Get up, arise quickly. I think that's a nice way of saying get up. And his chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, gird, your, gird yourself and tie on your sandals. So remember, they wore robes and stuff. So he's like, hey, tie up your skirt. You're going to be running. Get your shoes tied. Come on, Peter. Let's get together here. Get your coat on, because he says he grabs his garment. Come on. And they ran out. And the doors are opening of their own accord. So it's like garage door openers in front of them as they run. Or maybe Minecraft pressure plates, if you know what I'm talking about. You know, you just run and they pop open. Okay, And so he's running. Doors are opening um, in front of him. And he finally wakes up, kind of. He's like, whoa, wait, wait, wait this, is, this is happening. Cool. Now I know that the Lord's going to deliver me. Because remember, he was sleeping. What is God doing? He's teaching Peter to have faith. Yep, you were sleeping again, Peter. I'm going to send an angel. He's not going to be super nice, but he's going to get the job done because this is what needs to happen. Because if, you know, if Peter had been awake, praying, expecting it, would he have been surprised? Oh, okay, hey, hey, you're here. I knew you were coming. That's different than, boom, get up. That's different. Okay, it's a different situation. And so he runs, he runs. And so in verse 12, it says, when he had considered this, so he's still standing in the middle of the street thinking about it. He came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark. So not the John whose brother James died, a different John, John Mark. And uh, where many were gathered together and were praying. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a girl named Rhoda came to answer. And when she recognized Peter's voice, because of her gladness, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter stood before the gate. But they said to her, you are beside yourself. Yet she kept insisting that it was so. So they said, it is his angel. So he goes up to the door, he's knocking, and he's like, the girl's like, who is it? And he's like, it's Peter. And she's like, whoa, and she runs off. Okay, so what have these people been doing in this house? Praying. They've been praying for what? Peter to be released. And the little girl who's sitting there listening goes and opens the door and realizes it's Peter. And she's excited. And you know little kids, they do crazy things. One time I was a kid, my aunt called. And this was back when we had landlines kids that means it had a cord okay (laughs) and so my aunt called and she wanted to talk to my she wanted to talk to my dad and I'm like yeah you can talk to my dad click and just ran off to get my dad so I hung up right on her because I was like oh I gotta go do this thing you know Rhoda did this I can sympathize with Rhoda a little bit she's like oh Peter's here I gotta go tell everyone so she runs inside now it's also nighttime parents tell your kids not to open the door for anyone at night, okay, but, but Peter knocked at the door, she runs inside, and she says, Peter's here, Peter's here, the kid, the child, the silly one, Peter's here, guys, no, he's not, yes, he is, no, he's not, what are they doing, they're in there praying that Peter would be delivered, the girl goes in, tells him Peter's been delivered, and they're like, no, no, I mean, we're praying for it, but God didn't make it happen. 
So you've got this problem where they're praying without faith. We have this issue of childlike faith versus not childlike faith. She believed at his voice. They don't believe until they see him. That's deep stuff right there. We talk about Samuel. Remember Samuel? And he's like um, in the temple, right? And, and God's like, hey, wake up. I want to talk to you. And he's like, okay. So he runs into to Eli, right? And he's like, he's like, I didn't ask for you, Samuel. So Samuel goes back down. He's like, hey, Samuel, wake up. And Samuel's like, okay. And he goes into Eli. Remember that story? He just keeps running to Eli. And he's like, Eli's like, I'm not calling you. Oh, wait, it's God. When, say, say, here I am, Lord. And so God jump, comes and he talks to this little kid, not to the prophet. Because the childlike faith, there's something different. There's something precious in children. And God recognizes that. I think that's what they're teaching on back there tonight is, is you know, Jesus saying, don't, don't keep the kids from coming to me. Kids believe. They trust. And we need to have that same faith. So, the people don't believe. But we have to remember, what is he doing to his people? He's trying to grow them up in faith. And so, eventually, we'll see here, um, in verse 16, Now Peter continued to knock, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. And so, they, he eventually gets inside, okay? And um, this growth of faith, this, this praying without faith... God delivered despite their faithlessness in this instance. And that's pretty powerful in and of itself, that despite their faithlessness, he still delivered. He knew it was on their hearts. He knew what they desired. They just didn't have the faith to really believe it. But God did it to show them, no, you can trust me, you see. But James, and James 1, of course, tells us to seek with faith. When we pray, we need to pray as if we expect what we're praying to happen. We don't pray with this idea of question marks all the time. It's not a, not a Lord, I think this is what I should be praying. It's, no, Lord, this is my heart. I want it to be in line with yours. If it's not, make my heart in line with yours. But this is what I'm feeling. This is how things are going. This is what I see as a delivery. I don't know if it is or not, but Lord, I need you. You see, it's, it's, a, it's a matter of stating. It's a matter of believing and having faith and believing that something's going to happen. We used to, J.D. used to tease that faith, the difference between faith and belief is, um, or I'm sorry, the, the difference between faith and not faith is like if someone ran in the room and, and said, um, oh, there's a bomb in the room, everybody get out. You know, would you believe them? Probably not. If someone ran in screaming, saying, there's a bomb in the room, you know, in the middle of everything, we'd probably listen to them a little bit more. And so there's a difference in how we approach. We say that that's true with how we live our lives for God. We need to live on fire. We need to be light. But we need to pray in that same regard. We need to pray in the light. We need to pray as if we expect things to happen. Because God is desiring uh, to hear from us. We're not bothering him. Because God can't really be bothered because we're covered in Christ's blood. When he looks at us, he sees Christ. He doesn't see our flaws. He doesn't see all this other stuff. He knows they're there. Don't get me wrong. But he's not, he's not saying, okay, well, you're praying, but, you know, you said a dirty word the other day, so you're not going to, I can't answer your prayer. That's not how, 
It's not how this works. It's not a, if you give me a little bit, I'll give you a little bit. That's not how it works. And we can see that here. He delivers despite their faithlessness. You know, there's the whole bit about, uh, Lord, I believe, forgive my unbelief. It happens a lot. It happens a lot in my life. Um, but we have, to, we have to believe in what we're praying. And we have to expect God to deliver it. Because it happened here last week. Okay, it was pretty crazy. I went to Dollar Tree to buy glow sticks. Packs of four. Okay, and we have so many kids. And so we were doing the transfiguration. So what's better than making glow stick transfigure Jesus? Right? So, so I've, I, we're making glow stick transfigure Jesus. So we, you know, you've got glowing Jesus. And I, I, bought then, I bought the packs and I opened one to make one before I came to church so that I know that it would work. And I cracked the glow stick. It didn't work. Okay. Cracked another glow stick. It didn't work. Cracked one. It did work. Cracked one. It did work. And I'm like, oh, man. Okay. So I send to Leah while I'm at work, hey, go buy some more glow sticks because these packs... Aren't, apparently aren't any good. And so I'm, I'm standing in front of the cr- kids, and every, every kid needs a glow stick, right? And I'm like, crack. Nope. Crack, okay. Crack, Lord. <laughs> you know, and I said, and it was getting close. It was getting really close, and I stopped everything. I said, guys, we're going to pray. So we, we just learned about the fish and the bread and God providing. We're going to stop everything, and we're going to do this. And so I stopped, and I laid hands on the glow sticks, and I pray, God, give me enough that every kid in here can have one. And so I got down to the last three. Crack, it worked. The last kid got one. The last two didn't work. So I had exactly what I needed. And so is that a miracle? I don't know. Could it have been coincidence? A skeptic could say so. But what I do know is that I have faith that my God would provide. And by living like that, we can teach our families the same thing. We can teach our kids that. J.D. talks about praying where your keys are all the time. You know, we can't find the keys. We've got to be at church in five minutes. We've got to pray. God, show us where the keys are, and then inevitably some kid finds them in the freezer or in a shoe or something like that. See, the Lord is active in our lives, and we can't forget that that is who he is. He is a person. He's a really powerful person that has your best interest in mind, you see, even when it doesn't seem like it's our best interest. But we have to walk by faith. We have to live by faith. And these guys are seeing, well, we were praying for it. We didn't believe it, but God delivered anyway. Wow, God's pretty cool. Wow, thank you, Lord. And so here's what happens. Uh, at verse 17, it says, but motioning to them with his hand to keep silent, he declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, go tell these things to James and the brethren. And he departed and went to another place. So they're loud. They're like, whoa, yeah, in the middle of the night in the city. That's going to attract soldiers' attention, okay? And so he's like, no, shh, 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 stop, 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 stop. Go tell James I'm leaving. <laughs> so, so he's like, so they do that. So they're excited. So they, their faith has now grown. They have seen what God can do. They've heard from Peter how God delivered him. They've heard from Peter how God delivered him, and they grew in faith. You see, that's the same message we have for the world. We simply say how God has delivered us, and then hopefully they grow in faith. That's what a testimony is, okay? Verse 18. Then as soon as it was day, there was no small stir 
among the soldiers about what had become of Peter. They were in trouble. But when Herod had searched for him and not found him, he examined the guards and commanded that they should be put to death. And he went down from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. So Herod's got Peter. Then he doesn't. So imagine you're a guard and you're in there and a guy gets out that you're chained to. That means you helped him in the eyes of Agrippa, in the eyes of the king. So the king himself shows up to ask these questions. The king himself comes to look. You don't want the king showing up at your workplace, okay? It's like you don't want the president of Walmart to show up to deal with the small manager problem at the Maryville Walmart. That's bad news. This is even worse because this is the ruler, okay? And so he shows up and he kills him because in those days, if you lost a prisoner, you died. You didn't do your job, so you died. And so these guys are dead and it wasn't their fault. Verse 20, now Herod had been very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, but they came to him with one accord and having made Blastus, the king's personal aide, their friend, they asked for peace because their country was supplied with food by the king's country. And so uh, Tyre and Sidon are, um, according to Joshua 13, um, actually part of the promised land. Today, that's modern day Lebanon, which isn't part of the promised land, which means it should be part of the promised land. Um, with all the things going on with Israel right now, I'm sure you're paying attention. Um, it's one of those things where really Lebanon is, should technically be part of the promised land, the land of Canaan. And so um, at this point, it's still kind of part of it, but they were getting fed from Herod's country. They were getting fed from Israel, okay? They were getting their food. Um, was it Tyre? Tyre was the island, right? Yeah, Tyre, Tyre was an island. It was a rock outcropping, and they thought they were invincible because their only way to it was by boat, but it was on a big hill, and there was only one walkway out to it, and so the Romans show up and tell them who's boss, but um, they, they take them out. But Tyre and Sidon are kind of these two very old, old, old cities that have been here since Joshua, okay? And they're not in very good... Uh, favor with Agrippa at this time. And they, they made Blastus, the king's personal aide, their friend. Uh, the per- personal aide there means um, who was in charge of the king's bedchamber. So basically his butler, to put it in, in terms like we would use. So they got to be good friends with this butler. And so what do you think the butler did? Put in a good word. Because it depends on who you know to get ahead in life. It's a political... It's a political uh, thing. It's, it's all this fight. They're going to become good friends with his friend, and they're going to come together as one, and we're going to try to get things happening. And uh, so that's what they did, because they needed food from him. So, on verse 21, on a set day, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat on his throne and gave an oration to them. Then immediately, I'm sorry, and the people kept shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. So these people came down. They're technically supposed to be part of Israel. He's mad at them. They try to get favor with him. So he comes out all dressed up, all pretty. Comes out and I'm going to speak to you because I'm a king and I'm very important and you should listen to me. And they're saying, oh, the words of a God. 
Oh, your words are, are you are a God. We, we worship you, so to speak. We, you are so fantastic. Now, let's go to Psalm 36 real quick. Back when, um, back when I was following bands, <laughs> back when I cared about who was playing and things like that, um, there was a band out of Kansas City. It was one of the predecessors to a lot of the bands that will be playing at Breaking Chains to kind of set the framework for them. It was a band called Flattery Leads to Ruins. And that's exactly what's happening here. Flattery is leading to ruins. See, these people are, sit, are flattering him, aren't they? And see, flattery, the problem with flattery here, let's look at uh, Psalm 136, and we'll start in verse 1. Yeah, verse 1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. This is not the right cross-reference. It's 36, I'm so sorry. Let's go to 36, shall we? My tiny Bible writing. Yeah, there we go. Psalm 36, starting in verse 1. An oracle within my heart concerning the transgression of the wicked. There is no fear of God before his eyes. Does that sound like Agrippa? There is no fear of God. For he flatters himself in his own eyes, decorates himself, and he finds out his iniquity and... And, and when he finds out his iniquity and when he hates, the words of his mouth are wickedness and deceit. He has ceased to be wise and to do good. So not only is Herod being flattered, remember when people are flattering you, it means they want something. It's damaging to you. It's fluffing your pride. So if people are speaking flattery words to you, you need to be careful. I need to be careful. Flattery is not, it's going to only puff up our pride. And pride leads us in, period. And so, not only are these people flattering him, he's flattering himself. I'm going to deck, deck myself out and all this nice garb. I'm going to sit on my throne and give a very wise speech because I'm the king. And that's exactly what the verse, uh, or what Psalms 36 says. The words of his mouth are wickedness and deceitful. He has ceased to be wise and to do good when he flatters himself, basically. That's exactly what he's doing. And he should know this as a half-Jew king of the Jews. He should know this. So on a set day, he's arrayed, and he tells the people, they're calling him a god. So then verse 23, Then immediately an angel of the Lord struck him, because he did not give glory to God and he was eaten by worms and died. Ew. Yeah, that's right. Ew. Now, that's a, that's, that is quite the ending. But remember what I said. He's doing exactly what Pharaoh was doing. Pharaoh thought he was God. Pharaoh thought he, could, he didn't have to trust in another God. He's got all the power. This other God's nothing. And Pharaoh lost his son. It does make me wonder if, why Pharaoh didn't die if he wasn't a firstborn, yet he was king? So did he, you know, maybe he killed his older brother already to get the power of the throne? I've always wondered that. Or if God just kept him alive to, keep him, to teach him a lesson or something? I don't know. But, but in this instance, this guy who's acting just like Pharaoh, he sinned on the Passover, right? He didn't keep it. 
He's supposed to be a leader. He's supposed to be leading the people into God and faith and growth. And he set himself up as a god. And God killed him, struck him, and he was eaten by worms and died. Which means if the died came after the eaten by worms, I don't really want to think about that death too much. If that's really the order there. But look at verse 24, but that's a good word in the Bible because it always means the opposite, unless it's the opposite of doing God's work. But, but the word of God grew and multiplied. Captured Peter, killed, killed James. But the word of the God multiplied and grew. Like I said, just because you cut off the heads doesn't mean anything stops. We don't stop. You know, nothing stops. If, if it becomes illegal for us to do this, Ten of you will come to my house. Ten of you will go to Rod's house. Ten of you will go to Sam's house. Ten of you will go to... We'll, we'll just do it that way. We don't stop doing what God's called us to, go, to do. And they can't stop it because we are powered by God. You see? We're powered by God, not by politics or laws or congresses. So verse 25, And Barnabas... And Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry, and they also took with them John, whose surname was Mark. Remember, John's mom's house is where Peter went. So was John there listening to the prayer and seeing Peter being delivered and all of that? Probably. But he ends up going with uh, Saul and Barnabas and um, ends up kind of messing up. But in the end, Saul says, you know what? It's time for him to come back. Even Saul had mercy, and he was pretty tough on on people if you read some of those letters. Um, J.D. was requesting uh, that we spend some time praying um, tonight for, uh, specifically for this time, the Breaking Chains um, concert that's coming up. Um, One, the sheer amount of work that goes into something like this is insane the preparation, the requirement, just the physical labor and the amount of people needed is very large. But there's something about music, right? There's just something about it that that really reaches us. And and John talked about this, but, um, you know, if it hadn't have been for these crazy bands that were pushing the envelope but still proclaiming Christ, I would not be standing in front of you, period. I would have killed myself in high school, period. If it hadn't have been for some of these bands, and specifically one that I hold dear to my heart to this day, and every time I feel down, I go to that group and I listen to that song. We were going to do it last year at the, uh, at the, uh, when we were playing, but we, we, I decided not to do it. But, um, you know, just... There, we are wanting people to come who are broken, who need to be lifted up and for some reason music has that ability i can't explain why but when they can see people up there pouring their hearts out through music proclaiming the love of christ it does do work and i can testify to that that it does work and it touches and it heals for some reason i don't know and so what we're going to do here is a big thing um at the meeting on sunday we had a we were talking about people from what? He said Maine are potentially flying out. Like, like we've got people coming from a lot of places. 
And so we are, we are putting on a massive <laughs> ministry event. And as the body of Christ, we need to be of one accord. And so, so if we could spend 10 minutes praying um, and just get in groups and, and pray and, and lift this ministry up um, so that we can um, hopefully reach lives and, and you know, potentially save lives. So um, go ahead and break up and have a good night, guys.